practically everybody is saying, you know, I was listening to TBN the other night and Catherine Kuhlman had a tribute to her and she was saying that this generation shall not pass until they see the return of the Lord. And you talk to different pastors and people that are not even in the church and they're all talking about the end days. And um, they're not talking about end years, they're talking about end days and it's narrowing it down. And so one of the things that's very common to every person is people are always talking about how rough it is. And I thought it was very interesting in this prophecy, you know, talking about it being rough, but whenever there's roughness coming, God has given us a way through it. And it's not to go under it, but to go over it. And this is what I want us to understand today. There's a common thread that he puts out to every person when tough times are ahead. Does anybody know what it is? Be bold. Be, take courage. It's a common thread that you'll see throughout history, and, and we see it as I study in Rahab the harlot triggered some of this, this sermon, and so I, I want you to follow through with it because there's a common thread throughout history. When God tells you there's something fixing to come, you'd be bold and be courageous. Now, I want us to look at the life of Joshua because he was facing a whole new day, and uh, you can be turning to it. He was facing a whole new day and because there's nothing different, really. He was fixing to take the people in the promised land, but what was different this time, 40 years later, was the fact that Moses, his leader, was dead and Joshua himself was going to have to take the people into the promised land. Is a big, big difference. And so Joshua was told four times in succession to be bold, to be courageous. And the first thing I want you to think about this morning, courage, it's a command of us. Courage, be bold, be courageous, is a command. It's not a choice. It's not something we can say, well, I'm, I'm not led to do that. It's nothing of that. It says to do it. And it's a very difficult thing for some of us because we have not been trained that way. If you have your Bible open now, turn to Joshua 1.1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. See, things have changed. You're now you're in charge. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan. You and all this people to the land which I am given to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you. Now I want you to underline this. This makes it all the difference. This whole sermon today is one statement here. I have given to you. And I want you to underline that and mark it. It's past tense. Now, this is very difficult for us to understand because it, they haven't even gone into the land. How can it be given to you if they haven't gone in there? But God, to God, it has been done. Just as I spoke to Moses, from the wilderness and from this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and so far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be her territory. No man will be able to stand before you. Now understand this. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Underline it. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to the fathers to give to them. Now, why is God able to give us a commandment to be courageous, be strong? Why is it that he can say something like this? Is it um, psyching us up? No. It says, I have given it to you. I have already done it for you. I have gone before you. This is the key. When you're in God's will, he has already done the work for you. 
It's interesting. He will go for you in the battle. Look at back at verse 5. No man will be able to stand it before you. Why? Is it because you're a great military power of Joshua? No. It's because God Almighty has gone before you. He has made a way for you. Just for one day. No, all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. This is the key. I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, if we had that kind of knowledge deep down in the heart, not up here, but down in here, we wouldn't be afraid of anything in this life. But we say, oh my, I don't know if God's even hearing my prayers. That's anti-God, folks. And I've been there. You know, I've heard people say, well, my prayers just bounced off the ceiling, didn't get any higher. That's a lie. That's a lie of the enemy. It's to discourage you, to keep you from believing God's word. It's because God's word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he hears our prayers. But the devil's trying to talk you out of it. This is the difficult times that we're facing. Because the world says, I don't know if God's even up there. I don't know if God even hears me. And you're saying, God is with me, in me. Does it come from our own strength, courage? No. It comes from the knowledge that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is our Lord and Savior. It comes from the knowledge that he will never leave us. It comes from the knowledge that his word works no matter what you see. Then you can have the strength and courage to fight the battle. Put a mark over here and turn to Second Chronicles 32, 7 and 8. Second Chronicles 32 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of king of Assyria nor because of all the multitudes which is with him. For this, pardon, for the one with us is greater than the one with him. Now that's a powerful statement. This is an Old Testament. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because the king of Syria, not because of all the multitude with him, in other words, because of his soldiers. Don't worry about it. He might have the finances. He might have the, the abilities. It doesn't matter. God says, for the one with us is greater than the one with him. Now, when I was looking in the Bible and I've read 1 John 4, 4, it says, greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. I always thought that was uh, just something God revealed to him. He, he took what Hezekiah had said. King Hezekiah said this years and years before. And he was quoting King Hezekiah. Now, uh, when the enemy is coming in like a flood, it doesn't matter if it's health, it doesn't matter if it's poverty, it doesn't matter whatever he's trying to hit you on, emotional stress or whatever it is, relationships, whatever the problem is, our courage comes from knowing that God is the greater one. See, this is the thing we've got to get in our head and then into our heart. That God is greater than any problem I'm facing, whether it be uh, the shutting down the company or whatever it is. God is greater than my problem. Because he lives within us. Now, no other religion has a God... There's no other God, but I'm in so-called God. There is no other God that lives within the person. All the old uh, Balaam and all those kind of things, all those old junky gods uh, or demons, I guess you'd say. They really are demons. They all dead. They all died. 
Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead. I'm surprised Satan didn't try to counterfeit that, but he didn't. But Joshua rose up because of courage, because he knew God was with him. Now this is the, the, the difference in a tremendous leader because he rose up because he knew God was with him. He didn't sit there and say, oh dear God, there's six, seven million people out here, Lord. I don't know what to do with all these people. You think mechanically what problems that guy had and what he was facing and I'm amazed that he could even have enough courage to do something like that. Try to get a communication to six, seven million people without a television set and the radio and uh, so forth. Try to get a hand to mouth. I imagine it, it it would be so tempting to get so frustrated at the situation because you put out an order and the time it got there to the guy out there on the far end of the field, he didn't even recognize it. You talk about gossip. I'm sure it got completely confusing at times over there. It, it, just the mechanics. We didn't have the Walmarts and Kroger's and the, uh, the Winn-Dixie's and all these places to shop. They had to bring in that food. They had to raise it. They had to grow it. They had to have, and then, you have some of saying, hey, I don't want to leave the field. This is a pretty good field. It's better than where I've been, you know. And the guy says, man, you've got to move. You've got to go. Let's go in the promised land. And I'd rather as soon stay here, you know. You've got all of the divisions and all that sort of thing. But he rose with courage, and he acted on it. King David, as you remember, as he was a young man standing before Goliath, he knew that he was going to kill Goliath. He knew that he was going to walk out there that day victorious because he knew that he had something with him that Goliath didn't have. What was that? Goliath did not have a blood covenant with God. See, this is the difference between you and I and the world. We have a blood covenant with God. And God's not going to leave us or forsake us because we have a blood covenant. And when God looks down at us, he doesn't see the failure that we think we are. Because he sees a person that loves him. And that's, that's all it requires. A person that has a relationship with him makes a difference. We have a blood covering, covering over our sins. Man, not a person of us can stand before God and say, Lord, I'm perfect. There's no way. But we have a relationship with the Father because he loves us so much. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sin for us. That we can sin, become sinless. So we have a better covenant than King David had. We have a better covenant than Joshua had. We have a better situation because we are in right standing with our father. David said to the giant, you disarmed my heavenly father. You made me mad, basically. You, you'll be dead, you know, this day. Now, not only was he stating that to, for himself, he was stating for the whole Israelite army. Because if he won... The whole army won. If he lost, the whole army lost. And he, was, he knew who he was in God Almighty because he had a covenant with him. Now, we need to know who we are. When I was two or three years old, somewhere around that, my dad taught me something. He said, when people say, whose boy are you? I was to answer, Daddy West's boy, honest to goodness, sure enough, and no kidding. Now, when you're a little tyke, thousands of times people will ask you that. And when, that, when Dad would put them up to it, I didn't realize that. I just thought everybody asked me who I was. But when I'd say, I'm Daddy West's boy, honestly, goodness, sure enough, no kidding, my dad would just get tickled. He would just throw back his head and laugh. And I thought about that. 
I was telling Pedro about that. I thought it's amazing. Here I'm all half a century farther than that, and I still remember those words. Never say it anymore, but I remember it because it's thousands of times I said it. A thousand times we need to say, I'm a child of the king. We need to think that. We need to breathe that. We need to think that continuously. I'm not out here all by myself, contrary to evolution. My God designed me and put me right here at this time for a very purpose in life. Don't let the devil steal you your destiny. He's trying to steal it. But you say, I'm a child of the king. Honest goodness, sure enough, and no kidding. Amen. And that pleases our Heavenly Father. It brings Him glory because we have known who we are. And Jesus worked the entire ministry on this earth trying to get us to understand who we really are. He didn't say, oh man, you have really messed it, old boy. You are one of the scrungiest old boys on this earth. Man, you have no hope whatsoever. He didn't tell people stuff like that. He said, you're special. My God loves you. And we need to understand those kind of things. It's not long, though, after Joshua got the people in the promised land that he had some more encounters. He had people staying to him. Oh, man, this is not a normal battle, boy. You're going against something that's just, there's no way to get over that wall of Jericho. We've stood there, and we looked at it. Some of y'all have. There is no way to absolutely get over that wall. But the Bible says you shall go forth. Every man shall go forth. Now, for every man to go forth, it means there's no obstacles. If you're a military expert, you can think that and through. There's no going around the wall. There's no going around a section of the wall. There's no going around. You go over the wall. How do you do that? Because the wall went straight down. You're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. When you finally figure that out, you can walk over that wall because that wall is going to go down. I don't care what it is. Jesus said, if you say to that mountain, be thou removed, it shall be removed. Now, there's a time and place to pray, but there's a time to speak to that mountain, be thou removed, and it will move. That's why we get discouraged here on this earth. We say, oh God, remove this mountain from me. And what do we do? We pray instead of speak. There's always something to challenge your faith, though. There's always going to be a battle. Jesus didn't come in this world and say, well, it's going to be roses from this day forward because you asked Jesus in your heart. No, he said there's always going to be battles. There's always going to be someone standing out there. I want to tell you something. I just love you a great deal, but I want to tell you something. You can't get a job in Brownwood. You can't get a, you can't get a promotion. You can't get uh, whatever. You can't buy at home. You don't have the finances to buy the home. You don't have, there's always someone going to be telling you stuff like that. There's no need to try to get healed. You know, the doctor said so-and-so. See, there's always something discouraging coming along. You don't have the money to ever do whatever you want to do. 
You're not the mayor's son. You're not going to be in, you're not in the right clique. You're not going to get whatever. There is always just someone saying, who do you think you are? I'm a child of the king. Honest goodness, sure enough, no kidding. This is when we have to take courage to be strong. This is when we have to say who we really are. Yes, I will because my God lives within me. Because my God says he goes before me. Yes, I will because of the word of God. Number three thing that we have to look at when God tells us to take courage. It's not just for ourselves. It's for those around us. Joshua 1, 6 back there said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God is designing your work here on this earth to help the people around you. Your neighbor lives in your security. God was trying to give his people their inheritance and he needed Joshua to be courageous and lend them, lead them into possessed land. That's what he's working at. Also in the life of David, David was standing there before Goliath and he said, you know, this day your head will be on this platter. So many words. Saul said, you know, who wins the battle wins. And who loses, loses. And I, it should have been Saul out there fighting that Goliath because Saul was a man of age. He was a king. He was taller than all the rest. He was head and taller than all the rest. He should have been him, but a little shepherd boy had a little slingshot. And he wound that thing up and threw that rock. And I don't know if he missed it or not. He might have, that rock might have gone way out and come back and hit who knows? But there's one place that the enemy is vulnerable. That's the temple of the head. That's where it wasn't protected. That little rock hit that one spot that's vulnerable. Every enemy has one spot that's very vulnerable. And if you can figure out that spot with God's guidance, you win the battle. In 2 Samuel 10, 12, turn there. Look at that because it's important. 2 Samuel 10, 12 says, Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. For the sake of his people and the cities of his God. We're not fighting just for self, folks. The battle here in this life is not just for self. People are watching. People are looking at us. It's for our family. It's for our children as well. We have to have the courage to fight and we have to have the courage to stand because whether it be healing, deliverance, protection, needs med, whatever it is, we need to stand and fight. We don't need to give up. This is not a time to run. This is not a time for cowards. We're standing for a family when we're standing for healing. God didn't give you a father and mother or make you a father and mother for one of you to, to go home and be with the Lord early. He put together two of you. What it be for a marriage? He didn't say one of you can do well. He designed it for both of you. Folks, don't let Satan steal from you. Fight and fight and fight and fight. You're fighting for your church because if we have someone terribly sick and they're saying all the right words, but inside they're wanting to go home. We have people that are confused. Why didn't God heal her? Why didn't God heal him? 
See? Fight. It takes courage to stand against the enemy and against the giants, but when we do, everyone benefits. It's not just for one person. It's for everybody in this cold congregation because everyone is looking at that person and saying, I wonder why God, and then we let our voice trail off. It affects us all. Whether it be in finances, whether it be in health, whether it be in relationships, marriage, or whatever it is, don't let the devil steal from you. It affects us all. Fourth thing, every time God mentions courage, there's some kind of action required of it. In 1 Chronicles 28, if you want to turn there, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20, Then David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous. And the third thing is what you need to underline. It says, and act. See, we can be strong and courageous. We can be a mighty man of God, but if we don't act, we are just as soon to fold up the tent and go home. See, we got to act. We got to make plans and we got to act. We can make plans all day, but if we don't carry through with our plans into actions, what's courage? Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. Boy, this is powerful. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Now, the key to it is act. When David looked at the building of the temple, it was almost bigger than he was because it was one of the most elegant uh, buildings ever built. It's phenomenal, and it's very, very detailed on how to build that thing. And so it was quite an undertaking. God told him specifically to build a temple. He didn't act on something else. Later on, he built his own home. Took seven years to build a temple. Took him 13 years to build his home. God didn't get mad at him for spending another 13 years building his home. And he dedicated both of them on the 20th year. God didn't get mad at that. It was all right to have a home. But I want to tell you something. It's a tremendous undertaking. The action is what he was to take. He was to move on it. He was to work on it. Number five thing Jesus always uh, connects courage with, and that's faith. You cannot have courage without having faith. Look at John 16, verse 33. Boys, hear this at funerals. It's not a funeral. This is life. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. He didn't say there's going to be a bed of roses. He said there's going to be tribulation. Be courage. Be encouraged. I have overcome. In other words, if Jesus has overcome, then we have. See? God's no respecter of people. If he did it for Jesus, then he'll do it for you. Do you believe that? I think we need to think on those kind of things. Jesus said, cast all your cares on him, for he careth for you. Do you believe that? Oh, God, if it doesn't rain, we're going to be in trouble. Hits home. Have you ever thought about it? It doesn't take courage to go through good times. It really doesn't. It, it, the times that we grow in our faith is the times that we're going through tribulation. And I hate to say it. We could have it in good times if we just get our act together. 
But we don't look at the Word of God until we really have it of trouble. And then, man, we get our Bible open. And then we go to church. And then we start praying. And then we do all these things. And just as soon as we get our troubles over with, we're back on our merry way. The time of our nation that was the sickest was 1960. And they had enough guts to say, God is dead. Life magazine. And I thought it was interesting because it was an all-time prosperity. Everyone's making money. We didn't need God, they thought. It's the only time in the midst of battle that we really stand up and put courage and strength in us because then we turn to the Lord. Faith and courage always goes together. Number six thing, there's the rewards for the one who is in courage. Joshua 2 verse 9, if you want to turn back there to it. And Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and all, that all the inhabitants on the land have melted away before you. For we have heard, underline it, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, underline it, when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now here's a, a prostitute telling tremendous wisdom. I think it's very interesting what she is saying here. See, we have heard, when we have God on our side, the enemies are afraid of us. One of the things that should mark us is the fact that they fear us. But you know, one of the sad things is we've had over a hundred and some odd churches burned down in south southern part of the United States over around Florida. And I noticed where the government is now looking into it see if it's arson. People have enough guts to burn a church. And it's so sad that they don't have fear on them. It's a sad day when we have lost the power of the church where they are afraid someone might be praying that it would be a hex put on them or whatever. You know, the world looks at it totally different than we do. But that they'd be afraid to come on church property and destroy it. That they'd be afraid to come to church and tell a pastor some bold-faced lie and ask for money. But practically every week, you know, we hear it asking for money, and they can tell you the biggest lie in the world. And they have no fear of it. They should be afraid of us. What has happened in our country is the fact that people don't have fear of God. And fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I want to tell you something. If we taught in the church world a little more about sin and the consequences of it, it would affect a lot more people in the right direction. Because we cannot continue sinning as a nation and not have consequences. But when you teach on sin, people get very unhappy over it. You know, the thing is that in this country is the fact that we like prosperity. We like Miracles. We like all these sorts of things. But there's a price to pay. Are we willing to pay it? Joshua 10, verse 25. Joshua 10, verse 24. Let's back up to it. Christians need to get bold. Because in the old days, they were bold. And when we have someone that tells us that, you know, 
the movie industry is just going to make movies. And we say, well, we can just stay home. You need to take a typewriter and write those people and tell them we're not going to tolerate you using God's name in vain any longer. We need to get bold. There's many areas that we can look at boldness and say, Lord, forgive us. Joshua 10, verse 24, And it came about when they brought these kings out to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came near and put their feet on the, their necks. Joshua then said to them, Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. Well, I'm just scared to tackle the problems downtown, you know, if they have whatever going on downtown, I just don't want to make them mad. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about Austin when they pass perverted laws? Are we going to sit here and say, well, you know, I just wish we had better elected officials. Are we going to take our typewriter uh, and send them a, a sweet but very firm note to them that we don't like what they're doing in Austin? Because it, so goes the king, so goes the nation. Folks, all the way through the Bible, it says the king did evil in sight of God and the nation suffered because of it. Folks, we're in this world, but we don't have to go along with it. We're the salt of this earth. And we're sitting here watching it go by. It's kind of like over there in Germany, they talked about it's all right when they come and arrested the different people, but then finally they come and arrested me and there was no one to fight for me. Interesting thing, when you study the life of Germany, that... Hitler made a compromise with the, the churches because, and, and they really thought he was of God. That's what was amazing. He had deceived them that much. They didn't examine his fruit. They could have seen from the beginning, but because he hated communism, they thought he was for the church. And he took over Germany on them and executed them. Number seven thing. There are five recorded times when Jesus spoke courage to someone. Let's get out of the Old Testament and look at it, what Jesus did. His words of encouragement were exactly what they needed to receive what they were trying to receive. Let me give you an example of what Jesus told his people. He is telling you and I the very same thing today, and I want to give you the example of it because in Matthew 9, verse 2, let's look at some of the healings that Jesus created, and let's see what he said. I, it went right past me until I saw this. Matthew 9, verse 2, he says, And behold, they were bringing to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, this is a very interesting statement. This man was laying here on a pallet, unable to move. And Jesus said, Take courage. Your sins are forgiven. Now, in my opinion, my thinking is, maybe that old boy did something. That got, he was sinning is why he got in that position. Maybe he's drunk and he fell off the front porch. Whatever it was, <laughs> something <laughs> probably was connected with sins. And he couldn't get a healing until God forgave him of his sins, where he understood God forgave him. I think it's interesting. Take courage, your sins are forgiven. When he knew that, then he could receive his healing. The same way when you and I take the Lord's Supper, if we truly believed that we were forgiven the next time we were tempted to sin would be the very first time we sinned. The devil says, oh man, you've blowed it so many times. This will just be one more time. Well, yeah, that's right. 
Uh, well, a bunch of times. No. No, this is the first time that I'm sinning. And I'm not going to do it. Do we believe we're forgiven? I don't think we do. I think that's why sin drives so many people. Look at verse 20. Another time, behold a woman who had, was suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. Boy, this wasn't something just all at once. She'd been with it 12 years. Came upon, up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloth. For she was saying to herself, saying to herself, not out loud, loud, to herself, if I can only touch his garment, I shall get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith, your faith, underline that, circle it, mark it in red, and do everything you can, has made you well. And a woman, at once the woman was made well. Now the key to this thing, Jesus wanted her to be healed, or the power wouldn't have gone out of him, but it was her faith that changed her direction of life. See? This is where we get in trouble. We say, well, God, do something. God says, you do it. You speak to that hemorrhage. You speak to that mountain. You speak to it. And she was healed. Let's go to Matthew 14. We're in Matthew. Let's go over to 14. Verse 24. I love you turning the pages because, folks, someday we might not have the privilege of having a Bible. I don't know. And what we get down in here is going to make a difference. And you can hear me, but if you see it, sight and sounds about 85% understanding. Verse 24. But the boat was already many feet away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking upon the sea. Now, I don't think Jesus was struggling walking upon the sea in the middle of a storm. I don't think the storm blew him down six times getting there. In my personal opinion, I don't think his clothes were all wet. You can think on it. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, take courage, underline it. It is I, do not be afraid. So he's saying, Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. That encouragement made them be able to receive him into the boat. That encouragement made us be able to receive him into our heart. Your sins are forgiven. See? Take courage. His words of encouragement calm their fears, folks. The devil tells us continuously, you're not going to make it financially. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. And we're going to have to take courage. We're told to do the same thing, to take courage in face of the enemy, storm that's on us. Ephesians 4.29 tells us, Let no unwholesome words come out of our mouth, but only such a word that is good for encouragement, according to the needs of that person, that it might bring grace and courage and hope to the one who hears it. Now, I paraphrase that, but I want you to understand that more. Let no unwholesome words come out of our mouth, but only such a word that is good for encouragement, according to the need of the person, that it might bring grace and courage and hope in the one who hears it. Folks, this is a thing that I'm trying to get through to you this morning. When we're standing here and looking at the enemy, don't agree with the enemy and say, well, I don't know when we're talking to so-and-so. Well, I don't know. You know, Sister Sue was believing God and she died. You know, Brother Tom, he was believing for a miracle and he lost everything he had. 
Say, that's unwholesome words. That's not curse words. I always thought it was curse words. But it really is words that are not encouraging to the person. You're tearing down their faith. The woman with the issue of the blood, and she said, I, if she was thinking to herself, because I imagine if she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. If she had said that out loud, it meant six good saintly people said, no, it won't work. No, no, forget it. <laughs> you know, Joe was standing right by Jesus and bumped his shoulder and he didn't get healed. See? But she said, if I can just touch it, your faith has made you well. She said, it, the point of contact, if I can just touch this hem of his garment, I'll get healed, was her point of contact. The garment had nothing to do with it. She just had faith in God. There's people in life that put faith in people. And Winston Churchill, in the darkest hours of England in World War II, when he was about to lose the battle, it looked like Germany was going to sweep in there and take him over. He made one phenomenal statement. He said, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the fields. We shall fight in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. But he said one line that changed history of England, we shall never surrender. Now, he didn't base that on God's word. He just made a statement. And England survived and won. Germany fell. Germany had a tremendously strong military machine at that time. And they failed. How much more do we have going for us when our Lord Jesus Christ says, everything you put your foot on shall be yours to Joshua. All that you lay your hands to, you shall prosper. Be according to your faith. Are we going to line up with his word? Are we going to take courage as a commandment and say, Lord, from now on I'm going to have courage? I'm going to be bold? I'm going to be strong? It's our choice this morning. The battle can be nothing because God has gone before us in the battle. He's not American general where the general sits back in headquarters and tells the privates what to do. The Israelite army sends, his, sends their generals in the battle before their soldiers. That's one of the problems we have nowadays. We don't have generals that are, should be generals. It doesn't take much wisdom to send 2,000 men over the hill to take it. If you're going over the hill ahead of them, you're going to think that plan through. God thought truth for us, and he won the battle for us. Are we going to believe it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this day that you have gone before us in the battle. Father, forgive us our sins. And Father, as we took of the blood of Jesus Christ this morning, we, we ask you to forgive us of sins of fear and doubt and disbelief and all those kind of things because it's not of you, Father. Fear and doubt, I pull you down in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You have no power, you have no authority over anyone here in this room or any member of our church. Your power is broken. We break your power with the blood covering of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and we send you into the disposal of Jesus Christ and you're not going to steal from our people. You're not going to take their health. You're not going to take their marriages. You're not going to take their <clears throat> emotions. You're not going to take anything that belongs to them, their children. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and there's not going to be any argument there, Satan. We tell you right now, for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord and this 
is the church as well as our family. And so, Father, we thank the word sets us free. That we can count on your word. We're not going to be disappointed because your word works, Father. You said you have given it to us already. And so far, we receive your word. We receive your understanding this day. Satan, we tell you one more time, you're not going to steal this word from our hearts. It's going to bring 30, 60, and 100 full return because it fell on good ground this morning. Because we're not going to have doubt and unbelief in our mind that blocks it. We're not going to have something that keeps us from hearing your word, Father, and understanding it. So this day, Father, we understand your word. And it's going to change our lives, and it's going to give us a boldness to stand in the days ahead. 98 can do something else, but we're going to be bold. We're going to be strong. We're going to over, overcome the enemy. The enemy will fear us and flee from us because he's afraid of us. Father, we thank you for that boldness that's rising up in us that we're not going to be looking at it and saying, oh, no, but we're going to say, oh, yes. I'm child of the king. Honest goodness, sure enough, and no kidding. In Christ's name, we pray, amen. If you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart today, don't let another day go by.